Thanks, Matt. Good evening. The reading this evening comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, so that's on page 1,217 of the Church Bible. So that's 1,217, starting from the beginning of 1 Peter, and we're reading chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's select exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, a greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. And before Dave comes to preach, let's pray together. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered, laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, your living word, your word which is as relevant today and as powerful today as it always has been. We pray now for Dave and we pray that your Holy Spirit would work powerfully through him as he teaches us from this passage. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit be at work in all of us this evening, um, showing us, guiding us and helping us to apply this to our lives as we do business with you in the week ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks a lot, Giles. 
And thanks for the invitation to be here. Great to be with you. I bust my foot yesterday playing squash with Giles. I know what you're thinking. He doesn't look as violent as that, does he? Put a racket in his hand, I tell you. We're taking a break from our series in Jeremiah. Some of you will have been here for that. And the reason we've chosen this passage to think about this evening will become obvious as, um, as we go. For now, I wonder if you could just imagine you were given a time machine, a TARDIS, I don't know, and you could go to any place and any time of history. Where would you go? I think we'd uh, often like to go to a different time in our lives. You know, maybe to a time when we feel like things were a little bit better. I was watching a documentary about the rock band Oasis and, uh, you know, maybe nostalgic. I was a big fan, mid-90s. Oh, times were better then. I don't know what it would be for you. Would you go to hear Martin Luther King or uh, see the the Berlin Wall come down or swinging 60s or uh, go and see the Spice Girls in concert? Oh, no. Uh, they're, they're, they're back together, aren't they? Anyway, um, maybe you go further back to some you know, for place, you know, time further back in history. Or maybe for you, you'd go back to the first century and Middle East and a, a little town called Nazareth. But offer the chance to visit any time and place in history. Chances are, you wouldn't say, uh, no thanks. Uh, East Sussex, 2019. It's just fine with me. And yet the message of our passage is this. If we're Christians here and now in East Sussex 2019, we are the most privileged people in history. Uh, You might raise an eyebrow at that, but that is what we see in our verses. We're focusing, um, if you've closed it, open it up again, page 1217, and our focus is the last few verses of that reading, verses 10 to 12, And I think it's telling us that Christians today are the most privileged people in history. Now, no one has got their heads in the sand on this, okay? It is also true that Christians are some of the most persecuted people on the globe today. And Peter's hearers knew about that, okay? Do you notice there in the end of verse 6, He alludes to the fact that they are suffering grief in all kinds of trials. And so for people who are facing grief in all kinds of trials, what do they need to know? What do we need to know? Well, just come with me to the beginning of our passage. Verse 10 begins concerning this salvation. Because because our three verses wrap up what Peter's been saying about the salvation through Jesus that God's people look forwards to. There's a sense in which we have it now, but there's a great big sense in which we look forwards to our salvation. And since the start of the letter, Peter's been laying on thick. What a brilliant position followers of Jesus are in. And look, that's what you need, isn't it, if you're facing trials? Because, Because you know as well as I do that trials can be overwhelming. Okay? Kind of emotionally overwhelming. And, and so what we need is to be overwhelmed 
by our salvation. If the trials are not going to get to us and knock us off balance. So that we say genuinely when the darkness closes in. Still Lord, I'll say blessed be your name. And so... Peter's been laying it on thick. Here here are some highlights. For starters, verse 1, if you're a Christian, you are elect. Think about that. Before time began, God chose you to belong to him. Before time began, God chose you to belong to him. Then God's choice before time became a reality in time, when you were born again. Verse 3. And so now, now you do in fact belong to God. Wonderful. Uh, look, Peter's big headline message, though, here in these verses is that the best is yet to come. Because at the end of time, guaranteed, God will give his people, he will bring his people to a glorious inheritance. Uh, three times, Peter uses the word salvation to talk about that inheritance to come. And that's because when Jesus returns and brings in his new age, he will save us from our struggle with sin. What a relief that will be. He will save us from this broken and sin-sick world. What a relief that will be. He will save us for an eternity of joyful worship of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his people from throughout history. What a prospect that will be. And so that is something, a little taste of the salvation Peter's been talking about. And there is more to come. But again, he goes at this with such length because his readers are facing various trials. And he needs them to know that in their trials, they are in fact in the most wonderful position they could possibly be in, in Christ. And by the way, um, we at Holy Cross, I've been receiving regular updates about Anna and Phil. And we've been praying for Anna and Phil at Holy Cross. Uh, do you know that whatever they are enduring at the moment, all this is true about them? Yeah? Isn't that just a great comfort and encouragement for us? Because while they endure their trials, they are in Christ. So they are, in fact, in the most wonderful position. It's just, we, that's just brilliant, isn't it? There's no need for us to be anxious about them. God's got them in his grip. He will get them to glory. So we can give thanks. And we can pray... And fill our prayers that they would rejoice in their sufferings, which is what Peter encourages his hearers to do. Now, Peter's hearers face various trials for living for Jesus. Trials can be a danger for us. Trials can stop us from following Jesus, from trusting Jesus. And maybe you know that dynamic firsthand. Because not so long ago, Christians in the West were considered do-gooders. Today, we're typically considered do-batters. Intolerant, oppressive, sexist, homophobic, transphobic. If we're true Christians, trying to live for Jesus in a world that doesn't, we'll know that the pressure to be a chameleon, blend into our surroundings, is very real. I know that. The pressure to be unfaithful to Jesus, very real. But giving in to the pressure is very damaging. It's damaging for us. It's damaging for the church. It's damaging for the, for the, for the non-church. It's damaging for people around us. And it's damaging, may I say, for the reputation of Jesus. 
And that's why Peter starts his letter with a celebration of God's goodness. So that they, we, stand firm in Christ and keep faithfully living for him, no matter what hits that brings. And so now, let's discover the kind of uh, culmination, I don't know, it's, it, it's, it's along the same lines. It's, an, it's another precious jewel. How it is that we who have this salvation are the most privileged people in history. I should say, um, our three verses are a bit knotty. Uh, it reminds me of, you know how like when you put your um, uh, Christmas tree lights away at the end of, you know, uh, well, it's kind of half of January, whenever it, whenever it is, and, uh, and you think, well, I've wrapped them up really nicely. They're going to be great when I bring them out next December. And, uh, and of course, they're not. You know, they're, they're the same tangle every year, you know. And, and, you know um, and, 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 of course, when you're faced with that big tangle, the temptation is just to put them back in the box. You know, we'll have a bauble-only Christmas tree uh, this year or whatever. When it comes to this knotty paragraph, that would be a mistake, put it, putting, putting it to one side, you know, back in the box. Because when it is unraveled and plugged in, the light that it brings to us will be well worth it. Let's read again verses 10 and 11. Concerning this, this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. You can see our two points in the back of the uh, service sheet. First up, the prophets longed to know the fulfillment of the great promises they received. I'll say that again. The prophets longed to know the fulfillment of the great promises that they'd received. Let's ask a few questions to help unravel uh, these verses. First, who are these prophets? At the very least, Peter is talking about the men who were around between about 800 and 400 BC, who wrote the 16 or so prophetic books of the Old Testament. They've got names like Isaiah and Ezekiel, Habakkuk and Hosea, Micah and Malachi, and Jeremiah. But in fact, it's well possible that he's actually using the term to refer to all of the Old Testament writers. Now, okay, what was the job of the Old Testament prophets, of these prophets? In the first place, God gave them the job of speaking God's message to God's people back when they were writing. All right, But, of course, their messages were written down. Peter's readers had them, and so do we, in our Old Testaments. Okay, now, so why do these ancient messages matter to us? Because, verse 10, take a look down, the prophets spoke of the grace that was to come to you and us. So the first century Bible writers were not the first to talk about the salvation found in Jesus. Now, those ancient prophets spoke about salvation in Jesus hundreds of years before Jesus came. God gave them promises of great things to come for God's people. But of course, that inevitably meant that those prophets wanted to know how and when those promises would come good. Would it happen, for example, in their lifetime? And so they, end of verse uh, 10, they searched intently and with the greatest care, 
trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. So Jesus Christ himself, did you notice that? There's a Spirit of Christ in them. Jesus Christ himself showed the prophets great things. By his Spirit, Jesus showed them the headlines about God's coming grace for God's people. And he showed them that this coming grace would be wrapped up in himself, in in the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. And sure enough, we see that, don't we? Shot through the Old Testament. Good news of a coming servant who would suffer and then reign as God's king forever. I expect that's what you've been seeing in your series in Jeremiah. Well, for those prophets, getting a glimpse of this grace and this work of Christ was so good, so wonderful, it blew their socks off. But it was incomplete. There were lots of pieces missing. Maybe you know what it's like to do a jigsaw. You slot the jigsaw pieces into place. You can see you know, the bits of the jigsaw beginning to take place. Well, God showed the prophets bits of the picture to come. They were showing the headlines about the coming salvation in Christ. They could see enough to know that it was wonderful. And seeing that was a comfort for God's people back then. But they could see enough to know that there was much more to see. So they searched intently with the greatest care. Wanting to know more. And especially the the, the times and the circumstances. When will this happen? What will will the times be like? Now they didn't have a search engine to type that into. They may well have searched back through the scriptures, earlier scriptures. They may well have searched back through their own prophecies. Is there anything more here about this great grace to come in this coming Christ? Is it coming soon? Almost certainly they took it up with God himself. Lord, tell us, when will this happen? How long, O Lord? How about this afternoon, Lord? But the result of all their searching and inquiring was um, disappointment. They weren't told exactly when this Christ and this grace would come. They didn't get to see it themselves. However, their research did unearth something. Check this out. Verse 12, Peter says to followers of Jesus, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And so the first thing to see is that the prophets longed to know the fulfillment of the great promises they received. The next thing to see is that the great promises they received were not for themselves, but for us. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. I imagine those prophets were disappointed that they didn't get to experience the promises of salvation that God had told them about. But there was a silver lining for them. They at least could be comforted in knowing that by making those promises known, 
They were serving future generations of God's people. Because when the prophets gave God's message to them, those prophets about the Messiah, to pass on to his people back then, in fact, God mainly had us in mind. And everyone who would come after Christ. Isn't that a thought? And so you do see here are the steps. We see in verse 12, first God gave his word to the prophets to make known. But when he did that, he mainly had us in mind. Because then in the first century AD, those promises began to come good. In the coming of Jesus and his life, his death, his resurrection and the outpouring of his Holy Spirit upon his people. And then eyewitnesses to Jesus announced the good news of Jesus. Those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And because they did so by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, it means their message came with God's stamp of approval. Well, Peter's hearers heard and believed that message, and so they became full heirs of the promises given to the prophets. And we today have even more than Peter's hearers. We don't just have the preaching of the eyewitnesses of Jesus. We also have the writings of the eyewitnesses of Jesus here in the New Testament. So if we hear and believe the message about Jesus, we too are full heirs of the promises given to the prophets. Peter is saying, it's you, Christians. It's you. You're the ones. Yes, life is tough. You face hostility. But don't think you're deprived or underprivileged. Don't look at the other, even your persecutors. Don't look at anyone else and envy them. Of all the peoples in the world, you Christians have been singled out for special favor. Because the salvation promise long ago has come to you. Imagine then you were given a time machine. And you could go to any moment in salvation history. So any moment in the history of God's dealings with his people, as we read about in the Bible. Where would you want to turn the dial? Maybe you'd want to witness the Israelites crossing the Red Sea with the pillars of water either side. That's a once-in-a-lifetime moment, isn't it? Worth a selfie. Or the big showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. That's an epic Marvel couldn't touch. Maybe a front-row seat to see Solomon unveil the new temple building in Jerusalem. What a sight. Where would you set the dial in salvation history? If you're a Christian here tonight, you're best off leaving it alone. No thanks. Hove 2019, it's just fine with me. Because no people at any time in history had it better than we enjoy as heirs of the Old Testament Christ promises. So imagine the conversation, would you? Imagine you had set the dial to go back to the time of um, the prophet Jeremiah. Look, I know that's unlikely. Uh, roll with me. Say you meet Jeremiah, okay? You're just intrigued. You've heard enough. You're intrigued, all right? But the first thing he says to you is, what on earth are you doing coming back here? 
Do you not understand the incredibly privileged position in which you already live? He'd say, you are the focus and attention of all God's plans and purposes for all history. I knew of a Messiah, but I didn't know who it would be or of when he would come. But you know that. I could only speak of salvation in the Christ, but you enjoy salvation in Christ. The time in which you live is the envy of all God's people of the past. End of verse 12. Even angels long to be in your shoes. And I mean, angels. Angels are majestic and powerful. And they live in God's heavenly presence. So they've got a lot going for them. And angels have been around for literally since the beginning of time. So, you know, they're really pretty smart. But the angels of heaven long to be in our shoes, knowing what we know, having what we have in Christ. So Jeremiah says, what on earth are you doing back here? (laughs) Friends, we're in the most incredibly privileged position. And so are Anna and Phil. And so are any of us in particular here facing great trials this evening. The thought is is staggering, isn't it? The time in which we live is the culmination of all God's revelation throughout history. I know we often feel like outsiders. We're often told things like, you need to get on the right side of history. Well, may I say, friends, we are bang on, perfectly positioned. It's a position superior to the prophets, which means we're historically privileged. It's a position superior to that of the angels, which makes us cosmically privileged. You are the envy of Abraham, the envy of Moses, of David and Solomon and Isaiah and all the prophets and even the angels. They were privileged. They knew God. God used them. God spoke to them and through them. And yet they'd give anything to be in your shoes. Maybe you weren't born into a wealthy family. Maybe you're struggling to make ends meet today. Maybe you didn't have a decent education. Maybe you didn't have a happy childhood. Maybe you don't have a loving family. Maybe you're not particularly talented. Maybe you don't really have your health. Maybe you don't live somewhere special. Maybe you don't have high-flying children. Maybe you're not a high-flyer yourself. Maybe you don't holiday abroad. Maybe you don't holiday at all. Maybe you don't have membership of that special club, or a fancy car, or a nice wardrobe, or a season ticket, or a retirement plan. Maybe no one's really heard of you. Maybe you don't feel significant. Maybe your life is full of regrets 
and disappointments and unfulfilled dreams. Maybe your life is full of trials of various kinds. But maybe you're a Christian. You know Jesus. You know Jesus. You know of his life, his death, his resurrection, his spirit, his coming again to save you. You know his love. You enjoy what the prophets long for. You are the envy of the angels. What it is to be a Christian. On the other hand, maybe you've got all sorts of things going for you. But if you're not a Christian, and I mean this genuinely, I'm genuinely sorry for you. You don't really have anything worth anything. Maybe you'll call to Jesus and and receive him and be an heir of these promises and enjoy the salvation, maybe even this evening. That can be you. The message, though, to the church is clear, isn't it? Stand firm in this grace. Keep a finger in 1 Peter 1, flick forwards two pages to the end of chapter 5, the end of the letter. Peter tells us why he writes the letter. It's really useful. (laughs) Chapter 5, verse 12. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Friends, how can we make sure that when Jesus returns to wrap up history, he'll find us waiting for him? Answer? Stand firm in this salvation. Do not move away from it. Yeah, you'll face hostility. That is hard. But in by the grace of God, you have a saviour. You have a coming salvation. You cannot be in a greater position. Where then would you rather stand? Where could possibly be better? Stand firm and make that the greatest desire for the people in your life the people around you even this evening, that they too would know and stand firm in God's grace. And so just one remaining question, how? How do we stand firm? Back into chapter 1, our passage tells us where that grace to stand firm is to be found. Verse 10 again, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care. God's grace to us in Jesus is found in God's word, not least in the Old Testament, the writings of the prophets. They weren't serving themselves, but you. So how will we stand firm in God's grace? By letting the Old Testament writers serve us. You see, the Old Testament is a Christian book. It's there to strengthen us today in Christ. I know that many Christians functionally believe that the New Testament is the real Bible. At a push, they might throw in the Psalms. 
But that is a greatly impoverished belief, and it must lead to an impoverished view of Jesus, and so an impoverished faith in Jesus. Maybe you haven't really heard of Habakkuk and Hosea, Micah and Malachi and the rest. Even if you have, do you, do I know their messages? Or is Leviticus just, just the butt of a bad joke? They were written for us. These pages are all about our salvation in Jesus. Every bit as much as Matthew's Gospel and 1 Peter. If we leave them out of our lives, we're seriously missing out. I wonder how you felt about us taking a break from Jeremiah this evening. Whatever it was, it shouldn't be relief. As if, you know, if you were back in the New Testament, you know, solid ground. No, no. Because I'm sure that you've seen that Jeremiah, like all the Old Testament, gives us a clearer and deeper and wider and higher understanding of God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't care what any English teacher might say, the Old Testament is vastly more important than any other writings of the past. Uh, Apart from the New Testament, of course. And so unless the Old Testament, as well as the New, has a central part in our lives, we will be impoverished. We'll have shallow roots in Christ, we'll be compromised in the face of trials, we'll lack the strength to keep living for Jesus when it is hard. So go on letting the Old Testament writers serve you. Make their writings central to your lives, day by day by day. See in the Old Testament what was promised hundreds of years ago about the sufferings and subsequent glories of the Christ. Then see those full promises fulfilled in the New Testament. Then you'll be strengthened as you see in the New that this what is ours in the Lord Jesus. And as you do, you'll not only stand firm in God's grace through any trials that you will face for standing firm, you'll even rejoice and praise God when you face those trials. Let's finish with verses 6 and 7 again. Take a look down. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you have, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Let's pray to our great God. Our Father in heaven, at first it seems amazing that Peter would begin a letter written to suffering people, people suffering for God by saying, blessed be God. But, But we get it now. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much that by your amazing grace to us sinners who are so undeserving, you would wrap us in your love. You would embrace us. You would receive us into fellowship with you. You would kindly give us this salvation. We praise you so much. We praise you that you are keeping us safe for that salvation. You're keeping that salvation safe for us.
Glorious God, thank you so much. We don't deserve it. Please help us to stand firm then in your grace. And Father, we know that to do that, we must stand firm in your word, which speaks of your grace. Please help us not to be those who just listen and for whom it bounces off us. Those who like to spend time with other people who are godly without standing firm in your grace ourselves. Help us, please, we pray, to delight in the grace you give us, to be delving deep into the scriptures and to be rejoicing in the things into which the angels long to look. For Jesus' sake, amen.